Today's scripture comes from Jonah 4, 1 to 11. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out to the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perish in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? You may be seated. Thank you. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, as you have spoken to Jonah, we thank you for speaking to us as well. And so we pray now that your spirit will help us to see your truth in your word. And that your spirit will be the kids downstairs to see that they too would see your truth and your beauty in your word. Would you be glorified by us as your church this morning? In your honor we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Sam. I'm one of the team here. It's, and as always, it's always a joy to open up God's Word with you this morning. So the other day, I was uh, brushing my teeth in front of the mirror when I started to just really look at myself in front of the mirror. Not just glance and go, which is what I normally do, but um, for, for whatever reason, I just started to just really look at myself. Have you done that before? You know, and scrutinize my, what I saw in the mirror. And if I'm being honest, it was quite humbling. <laughs> Have my eye bags always been that big? Have I always had those spots in those areas? And things like that. But that's what mirrors are for, aren't they? Mirrors are there for, for us to look back at ourselves and even scrutinize ourselves. And, and I bring this up because that's exactly what the book of Jonah is supposed to do. The book of Jonah isn't a window for us to look out of and just watch someone else's life. No, the book of Jonah is a mirror for us to look back at our own lives. To, to, to take a good, hard look at ourselves and scrutinize ourselves with the, with the truth that God is confronting us with. In, in chapter 1, when Jonah was trying to run away from the presence of the Lord, we were confronted with all the times we tried to run away from God. 
In chapter 2, when Jonah was thrown overboard and was saved by a big fish, we were reminded of all the times that we throw ourselves overboard. All the times that God saves us from the distress that is even of our own making. In chapter 3, when Jonah was half-hearted and imperfect in his repentance and obedience to God, we were reminded of all the times we are half-hearted, that we are imperfect in our repentance and obedience to God. And so as we come to the conclusion of the story in chapter 4, God confronts us with two more things in the mirror of his word. Two more things. He confronts us with Jonah's anger and God's mercy. Jonah's anger and God's mercy. So to our first point, Jonah's anger. Jonah's anger stands out for us in this chapter because he's frequently described as angry. Some of you may have noticed it as scripture is being read just now already. Jonah is described as being angry three times in 11 verses. Three times in 11 verses. Verses 1, 4, and 9. But the other thing that stands out about Jonah's anger for us is not just that he's frequently angry, is that something doesn't seem quite right about his anger, does it? We see a hint of it in 3 verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. The Ninevites have turned from their evil, and so God turns from his anger and shows mercy instead. God is no longer angry, but then guess what? Jonah is angry. Jonah is now angry, even though God is no longer angry. In fact, Jonah is not just angry when God isn't. Jonah is angry at God. And this shows us that something isn't quite right with Jonah's anger. Anger in and of itself can be good. Let's be clear about that. God himself has a righteous anger against sin and injustice and we are to align our hearts with God's heart. We are to align our, our anger with God's righteous anger against sin and injustice. But when our hearts are misaligned with God's heart, when our anger is misaligned with God's anger, when we are angry at something that God is not angry at, or worse still, when we are angry at God Himself and His mercy and His love and His compassion, our anger is often a sign that something is not quite right with us. In fact, when our anger is misaligned with God's anger, it's often the result of sin in our hearts. The same way that Jonah's misaligned anger reveals sin in his heart. In our text, Jonah's anger reveals three sins. Firstly, his anger reveals his prejudice and toxic hatred for the Ninevites. Jonah's anger can be traced back to his prejudice and hatred against the Ninevites. Jonah hated the Ninevites so much that he would rather run away from God and be thrown into the sea than preach, than share the good news of God's mercy to them. And Jonah hated the Ninevites so much, he would rather die and be thrown overboard than see them receive mercy. Look at verse 2. And Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is angry that the Ninevites receive God's mercy. And in verse 4, God signals to us and to Jonah that something is not quite right with Jonah's anger. 
It's signaled to us in verse 4 when, when God asks Jonah the question, do you do well to be angry? Jonah, God is asking Jonah, are you sure your anger is justified? Are you right to be angry? But we also see something else in verse 1. Let me read verse 1 again for us. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. So, so there's, a, there's a bit of a wordplay going on here and we need a bit of work to see it, but it's worth it, okay? So you track with me. The book of Jonah was originally written in Hebrew and our English translators have very helpfully smoothed out the Hebrew when translating it so that it's readable to us. It's more readable so we can more easily understand what is being said. But in smoothing it out and making it more readable, there's a wordplay that is lost. And that's why our Bibles have, have a footnote in this verse to flag up the wordplay. If you have a Bibles with you, uh, physically on your phones, you, you'll probably see that there's a footnote that gives a more wooden translation of verse 1. It says, But it was exceedingly evil to Jonah, and he was angry. What, what this verse means is that Jonah was exceedingly displeased. So it's a good translation. But there's a footnote because the translators want us to see that there's the word evil that is underlying there. And it's important for us to see it because the author intentionally puts in the word evil to show that Jonah has been so poisoned with hate that his very grasp that what is good and what is evil has been turned upside down and inside out. Let me say that again. The wordplay is there. The word, we need to see the word evil in verse 1 because the writer is showing us that Jonah has been so poisoned with hate that his very grasp of what is good and what is evil is turned upside down and inside out. When something good happens, when the Ninevites turn from their evil and God shows them mercy, instead of seeing it as good, Jonah sees it as evil, exceedingly evil. Instead of celebrating as he should, Jonah is furious, furious enough to die. Jonah has been so consumed by his prejudice and hatred of another people that his heart has been poisoned. So that what is good seems evil to him. Christ City, have we been so consumed by our prejudice and hatred of someone else that our hearts are beginning to be poisoned? Perhaps prejudice and, and hatred are words that are too strong. Maybe the question is, who are the people in our lives who we think deep down, deep, deep down, don't quite deserve God's mercy? Who are the people in our lives that we would be upset to see in heaven? Now we need to be careful here. Jo, jo, before, before, before we get ahead of ourselves on what we think about Jonah, Jonah knew and perhaps even experienced horrors from the Ninevites that we could never possibly understand. Nineveh was an Assyrian city and we know from historical records that the Assyrians were not just cruel, they celebrated their cruelty. Let me give some examples. They dismembered their prisoners while they were still alive, meaning they ripped and cut off their arms and hands and noses and ears and tongues but they would often leave one hand attached on each victim so they could shake the hands of each victim just before they died. They would hold parades where the prisoners had to hold up on poles the heads of their dead loved ones, of their dead friends. 
They stretched out victims with ropes so they could skin them alive and then they decorated the city walls with those skins. They burnt children alive and all those who remain, who were left alive were tied up and dragged off to work as slaves. And do you know how we know that they did all these things? Because they boasted about it. They didn't try to hide their cruelty. They, they, they boasted about their cruelty because they wanted everyone to know how cruel they were. Now, we don't know how much of this cruelty Jonah experienced firsthand, but we know that he would certainly have known about them. His culture would probably have been defined by fear of them. And Jonah's own people were eventually wiped out by them. So why am I telling you all this? The point is this. Jonah had a very real, and let's be honest, very understandable reasons for hating the Ninevites. And we need to be clear, God does not in any way condone what the Ninevites have done. The book of Jonah opens by calling what they're doing for what it is, evil. Their evil has risen up to God. God calls what they did evil and he says he's going to destroy them for their evil. And yet, God gives us the book of Jonah to teach us that no one, not even the Ninevites, are beyond his mercy. God gives us the book of Jonah to remind us that even people as evil and horrific as the Ninevites, they are not beyond God's mercy. This is a hard word for many of us to hear, and some of us more than others. It's hard for us to hear it, let alone to apply it. And I don't want to assume how we are going to apply it. We're going to, we All of us will need much wisdom to know how to apply this, and it's going to look different for each of us. But it's a hard word for each of us, but Christ City, it is still God's word for each of us. Christ City, does our anger reveal prejudice and hatred that is misaligned with God's heart? Perhaps even poisoning our own heart. So Jonah's anger reveals his prejudice and hatred. His anger also reveals his selfishness. Notice Jonah's extreme mood swings in the chapter. In 4 verse 1, he's exceedingly unhappy and angry. Then God appoints a plant to give Jonah shade and suddenly Jonah's emotions swing to the other extreme. Look at verse 6. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But then the plant dies and the sun gets hot and Jonah gets hot and bothered and uncomfortable and now he's angry again. Angry enough to die again. Look at verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Jonah's mood swings are extreme, so extreme, they're actually supposed to be funny. He's angry enough to die, and then the plant comes up, he's exceedingly glad, and then, and then the plant dies and he's angry enough to die again just because he's hot and uncomfortable. It's supposed to be funny, but we don't know whether to laugh or not, do we? Because the comedy reveals a tragedy. No one is laughing because we can all see that something is deeply wrong. Jonah's anger reveals his selfishness and mixed up and messed up priorities. He's focused only on himself and what he wants 
and how he feels. God points it out for us in verse 10. And the Lord said, You pity the plants for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Jonah's happy that thousands of people are going to die, but then gets angry when a single plant dies. Jonah's happy at the thought of a whole city suffering, but then gets angry when he gets hot and inconvenienced. Christ, as we examine ourselves in the mirror of God's word, in what ways might we be like Jonah? Do we get, ang- do we get more angry when we feel hot and inconvenienced than when hundreds of thousands of people perish? Do we get more joy from our own comfort than the salvation of an entire city? So Jonah's anger reveals his prejudice and hatred. His anger reveals his selfishness and mixed up priorities. His anger also reveals his blindness to his own sin and mercy he has received. We see it in his prayer in 4 verse 2. But before we get there, quick recap, Jonah disobeys God by running away and going in the exact opposite direction that God calls him to. A storm comes, but Jonah would rather die than do what God calls him to do, and so he asks to be thrown overboard. And now that he's thrown overboard, as he drifts in the middle of the, of the sea, he calls out to God in his distress. A distress, let me remind us, is entirely of his own making. And what does God do? God hears his cry, and saves him by sending a fish to swallow him up. And why does God do that? For no other reason than because he is merciful. That's what happened. But then in 4 verse 2, when Jonah prays, how does Jonah describe what happened? Let's look at it again. 4 verse 2, And Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah's blindness to his own sin is revealed in the way he describes his past sin, isn't it? He says, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country, that this is why I made haste to flee for Tarshish? That doesn't sound like someone who is sorry for what he has done. It sounds like someone who is trying to justify what he's done, doesn't it? Jonah is so blind to his own sin that when he looks back on his sin, he rewrites history so that his sin is now completely justified in his own eyes. He says, God, you made me do it. You gave me no other choice. Jonah is blind to his sin, and so he's blind to the mercy he's received. That's why he gets so angry that the Ninevites receive God's mercy. Jonah is angry with that God shows mercy to others because he doesn't realize that he's alive only because of that God has shown him that same mercy. God has dragged Jonah into the lifeboat, and now Jonah is pushing everyone else out. And the irony of the story that we can see in these four chapters is that the author writes it so that we can see that while Jonah can't see it, everyone else can see it. Jonah is the only one in the whole story who doesn't turn to the Lord by the end. 
The sailors have turned to the Lord. The Ninevites have turned to the Lord. Even the animals have turned to the Lord. Jonah alone remains unturned. Jonah alone remains unrepentant. Jonah alone doesn't turn to the Lord because Jonah is blind to his own sin and need for mercy. In Christ's city, in what ways might we be blind to our own sin? In what ways might we be blind to our need for God's mercy? When we look back on our sin, do we repent and turn from our sin? Or do we try to rewrite history and pretend like it was never sin in the first place? When we see sin in others, do we show mercy or do we hold mercy back? Holding mercy back from others is a sure sign that we have forgotten the mercy that God first showed us. Christ City, are we pushing others out of the lifeboat? The lifeboat that we have no business being in, but for God's mercy. It brings us to our second point, God's mercy. God's mercy is the thread that ties this whole story together. And we see God's mercy first and foremost towards, towards Jonah. God is merciful to Jonah in chapter 2 by sending a fish to rescue him from a distress that was entirely of his own making. And then God is is merciful to Jonah in chapter 3 by giving him a second chance to do what he should have done in chapter 1. Remember, Jonah is the only prophet that is commissioned twice because he didn't do it the first time. And God is merciful to Jonah again in chapter 4 by talking to him. Think about it. God could have just easily left Jonah alone to stew in his own anger and hatred and sin and selfishness. But in his mercy, God talks to Jonah. He uses a plant and a worm to reveal Jonah's sin to him. God is merciful to Jonah in so many ways. And Christ City, that is such good news to us because we are like Jonah in so many ways, aren't we? The question isn't, are we like Jonah? The question is, how are we like Jonah? In what ways are we like Jonah? Like Jonah, we all struggle with prejudice and hatred and not loving others as we should. Like Jonah, we all struggle with selfishness and mixed up and messed up priorities. Like Jonah, we all struggle with blindness to our own sin. And like Jonah, often our repentance and obedience is imperfect and short-lived. So praise God for His mercy to Jonah and praise God for His mercy to us. God is merciful to Jonah, but He's also merciful to the Ninevites. So who were the Ninevites? The Ninevites were the people who seemed furthest away from God. The last people you ever thought could be saved, the last people, the people who didn't even seem to want to be saved. And yet, God saved them. God saw them when they were far away from Him and and living like He didn't even exist. God had pity on them even when they didn't ask for God's pity. Perhaps even when they spat back at God's pity. Even when they didn't have pity on anyone else. They weren't looking for God, but God came looking for them. And He reached down and grabbed a hold of them and confronted them with their sin and His judgment. And then, Christ City, the unthinkable happened. 
the unexpected, the unimaginable, the inexplicable happened. These people who were so far from God, the last people you ever thought would turn to God when confronted with their sin and God's judgment, what did they do? They listened. And you know what? They didn't just listen. They turned from their evil and they turned to God. And you know what? God had mercy on them, on the ones who everyone was so sure could never deserve God's mercy. Christ City, this is such good news because we are not just like Jonah, we are exactly like the Ninevites. All of us have sinned. None of us deserve God's mercy. And yet God reaches down and grabs a hold of each of us. For those of you here who don't follow Jesus, this is an invitation, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, this is an invitation to put your faith in a God whose mercy flows like a rushing waterfall that will never run dry and is freely available to all who put our faith in Him. If you want to know what that looks like, if you want to just chat about what this looks like, talk to the person you came with or you can come talk to me or any of our staff. For those of us who follow Jesus, this, this reminder should drive us every day to thanksgiving and repentance. Every day turning from our sin to the one who shows us mercy. But this should also drive us to ever more desperate dependence on God as we pray for our loved ones who are far from God. Loved ones who are living like God doesn't even exist, who aren't even asking for God's mercy, who perhaps are even saying that they don't want God's mercy. Christ, God's mercy should drive us to desperate dependence on Him because what God can do for the Ninevites, He can do for all of us. Only God can do the unthinkable, the unexpected, the unimaginable. The book of Jonah isn't just a warning about Jonah's anger. It's a story of glorious hope about God's mercy to all who seem so far away from Him. Just as God did the unthinkable when He brought us into salvation, Christ City, only He can bring our loved ones to salvation. God displayed His mercy to Ninevites in sending Jonah to bring them to salvation. And God displays His mercy to all of us by sending the one greater than Jonah to bring us to salvation. Matthew 12, 41, Jesus points to Himself and says, Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. There's a thread that is drawn from Jonah to Jesus. The book of Jonah points us to Jesus, the one greater than Jonah. Jonah was a prophet commissioned by God. Jesus is God himself. Jonah was imperfect. Jesus is absolutely, beautifully, gloriously perfect. Jonah ran from God's will. Jesus submitted to God's will. Jonah suffered for his own sin. Jesus suffered for the sin of others. And seeing this is important. Seeing that Jonah points us to our need for someone who is greater than Jonah is important because the story of Jonah ends on a cliffhanger, doesn't it? It ends on a question with no answer. Look at verse 11. God asks the question, and should I not pity Nineveh? And we know what we want the answer to be, don't we? Of course. Of course God should pity Nineveh. 
But, but, but the book ends on a question partially because it's not so straightforward, is it? Mercy is good, but then what about justice? It's great if God can be merciful and, and doesn't punish Nineveh for all the evil they've done, but what about justice? Justice for the children they've burnt. For the victims they skinned alive for rejecting God and then celebrating their sin and cruelty. The Ninevites did horrific evil and we can't just turn the other side and pretend like it doesn't happen. Because what about justice? For us to be able to trust that God is just, we need to trust that He will make sure that all wrong will be made right. That every debt will be repaid. That all sin would finally one day be rightly punished. And so praise God. Praise God that Jonah doesn't just end there. It points us to Jesus and his death on the cross because it's only at the cross that the question at the end of the book is finally and gloriously answered. God doesn't leave us at a cliffhanger. He leads us to the cross. Because it is at the cross and only at the cross that God's mercy and justice meet. When Jesus was crucified on that cross, he took on the punishment for sin. And when he rose on the third day, showing he showed us that justice has been served and that all of us who put our faith in him can receive God's mercy and salvation, knowing that justice has been done. But that's not where we end, Christ City. We need to talk about one other person that Jonah points to, and that's Simon Peter. Two names for one person, Simon Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. We need to talk about Simon Peter because God uses him to show us, now that we have received God's mercy and salvation, what should we do? How should we live? In Matthew 16, verse 17, Jesus addresses Simon Peter as Simon, son of Jonah. If you have your Bibles and you're looking at that verse, it says, Simon bar Jonah, bar just means son of. So Jesus addresses Simon Peter as Simon, son of Jonah. And at first, it doesn't seem like anything significant until you realize that the name of Simon Peter's father is not Jonah, it's John. So what's going on? Why does Jesus say that Simon is son of Jonah? And we need to be clear, it's not because Jesus just got the names mixed up. It's not because he's confused. It's because Jesus is trying to tell us something really important here. Jesus isn't saying that Jonah is Simon Peter's biological father. He's saying that Jonah's life shows a pattern that Simon Peter follows. Let me say that again. Very important. Jonah isn't, Jesus isn't saying that Jonah is Simon Peter's biological father. He's saying that Jonah's life shows a pattern that Simon Peter's follows. Just as Jonah was called to proclaim God's word to Gentiles, Simon Peter was called to proclaim God's word to Gentiles. And just as Jonah was reluctant, guess what? So was Simon Peter also reluctant. Joppa was the place that Jonah ran to to board the boat. To board the boat as he was running away from God's call to proclaim his word to the Gentiles. You know when Joppa turns up in the Gospels as well? Joppa was the place that Peter received his call to proclaim God's word to the Gentiles too. 
And just as Jonah received a second chance to follow God's call and, and proclaim God's word to the city, Simon Peter also received a second chance to follow God's call and proclaim God's word to the cities. The point is this, Christ City. God draws a line from Jonah to Jesus and then to Simon Peter because he's drawing a line from Jonah to all of us. Just as God sent Jonah, just as God sent Jesus, just as Jesus sent Simon Peter, so now Jesus sends us to walk in, his foot, in their footsteps in the power of His Spirit. God has saved us so that we might be on mission, on His mission. God has saved us so that we might be hot and bothered and inconvenienced and uncomfortable for the sake of His mission. Imperfect as we are, God in His mercy sends us out on mission, on mission to proclaim His good news to our city that salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's stand as we respond to God's word together.